0: As we turn our attention to the Word, uh, I want to give an introduction, uh, a story that happened in our life several years ago. My now 12-year-old daughter, it's hard to even think that, that she's 12. When she was three, we, we had uh, our older boys were, were sending her off of the couch in this new game that they called Rocket Launch, <laughs> and as foolish as children can be, the uh, she has her turn, and they send her off. I was at work, so about thirty minutes away, and I get a phone call, feverishly afraid that something had gone badly wrong. She breaks her arm, so I drive very quickly to the near small community hospital, of which we get the news: yeah, we can't handle what she has here, so we're going to load her up in an ambulance. And that was two grand later. You know how that feels. And so I'm chasing. Uh, it was an opportunity to drive fast. That was quite fun. Uh, behind the ambulance, back up to Fort Worth to uh, find out later that that she had to have surgery to get pins and screws in her elbow. I'm thankful for doctors who can diagnose. I'm thankful for doctors who can give remedy to the problems that that we have biologically. I'm grateful that as they diagnosed her with a broken arm that they did not give her chemo. In the same way, if if someone has cancer, I'm grateful that they don't put a cast on them. You see, it's very important when we have a discussion relative to a physician diagnosing problems that we also have corresponding remedy that goes with that problem. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. I want to speak to you this morning on physicians of the soul. Physicians of the soul. And as I, as I speak to you about shepherding and about caring for the flock, this is an important statement. It's sort of in the New Testament the way in which Paul addresses husbands, where he tells us that we are heads of the house. That's not suggestive. He's saying you are, you will be a good one or a bad one. It's much the same way that we see in the scriptures that shepherds are presented as those who are to care for the flock. That you are called to be a physician of the soul. The question is not, are you a physician? Is, are you a good one or a bad one? Can you truly and genuinely diagnose the vexations of the human soul according to the word to give proper remedy, and I want to follow this motif from the Old Testament of shepherding. I think it's quite instructive for us as this is followed out, not just here in Jeremiah, but also in Ezekiel 34, presenting the the Messiah who would come as John declares as the good shepherd, uh, the one who would mend our broken hearts, and we see this running throughout the New Testament, and we are called to be under shepherds of this great shepherd. And one of the things that we see here in Jeremiah is the neglect of shepherds, the shame of shepherds. What we find in Jeremiah before we get to chapter 6, it's a difficult situation. They have been ruled, Israel and Judah have been ruled by the Assyrians. And there is pending doom and Jeremiah is called to go and tell them of this doom that is coming, this judgment from The Lord, not quite the ministry that we would want to sign up for, but this is the ministry to which Jeremiah has been called as a physician of the soul. And he instructs us, I think, on how we are to be physicians of the soul as well. What we see is a neglect of the Word of God, a neglect of the responsibilities of the shepherds, and that leaves the people of God vulnerable and susceptible. And so as we look into God's Word, Jeremiah chapter 6, I want to pick up the story in verse 8. The Bible says this, "'Be warned, O Jerusalem, lest I turn from you in disgust, lest I make you a desolation, an uninhabited land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, that they shall glean thoroughly as a vine the remnant of Israel, like a grape gatherer passes your hand again over its branches.'" To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn and they take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children in the street and upon the gatherings of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the elderly and the very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least of these to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from the prophet to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination, no, they were not ashamed at all. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Verse 16, thus says the Lord, stand by the road, look and ask for the ancient past where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you would grant us wisdom from your word. Help us to see, Lord, this, this pattern, You're you're teaching us something about yourself and the way that you care for your people. You're, You're teaching us something about us and how we have the tendency consistently, even amid your blessing, to neglect your word and find our hearts in vulnerable places where we denounce you and run to other things that we think will fill us. So, Father, grant us wisdom we pray this morning as shepherds that we shepherd well, as those preparing to be pastors that we would learn how to shepherd people well according to your word, in a, in a protective way, in an encouraging way, in a way that builds up and strengthens them to endure this world that's so cursed by sin. God, give us grace and wisdom today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. What we see, I think, unfold in this passage is, is really a, a healthy picture of what I would call symptoms, causes, and remedies to speak of that in terms of a physician's language, just like my daughter, there was a, there was a problem. We saw symptoms. She was screaming uncontrollably. Now, she was, she's sort of a wild child. She has fun. She's very energetic. It was not unusual for her to be running around and having a great time. It was very unusual at the continual sobbing and the talking of her arm hurting and not being able to function. Those were symptoms, but, but we couldn't see inside the arm. We needed a physician to help us to understand that, to see distinctly what was happening and, and what needed to be given as a remedy to put her arm back together. The job of pastors and shepherds is much the same way. what God does here is He indicts the work of the shepherds through the prophet Jeremiah. And what we see are a series of, of symptoms that I think we can diagnose and begin to understand. what what we see is an explanation of the causes, the particular causes that that led to these symptoms that we're seeing in the people of God, a neglect of the Word of God, a love for other things. And as we see the causes, what we find out is through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord gives a remedy. He calls them back to Himself. Now, what God had been doing in in chapters 1 through 5 is He was calling them back to repentance, explaining exactly what they had done in the neglect of God's Word and God's way. They were using now the blessing of the Lord for themselves, not, not using themselves to be poured out because of the blessing of God. God had called them to repentance, but in chapter 5, there's a, there's a turn, there's a shift. And Jeremiah is uh, now uh, driven in, a, in such a way to say that he is going to now preach to these people and they will not have an ear toward repentance. I want to first discuss the symptoms that we see. We see a neglect of the people to hear the word of God. Look at verse 10. The prophet Jeremiah says, to whom shall I speak and give warning? This idea of warning is to admonish them, to tell them the truth about what's happening. But his lament here is that there's no one that has ear to hear the warning that God would have to say to them. The way he describes this, this is a very familiar language, not just here in the prophets, it's, it's very abundant in, in the prophets, but it's also driven into the New Testament as well. This is what the Bible says. Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. And behold, the word of the Lord is an object of scorn. How did we get to such a place to where the people of God now have ears that are uncircumcised? He's not saying they don't have ears to hear. He's saying they have ears, but they cannot hear the word of God. How did they come to such a place to where now the word of the Lord is an object of scorn? If we do a cursory Uh, overview of Jeremiah up to this point, he he tells us how the people got here. One sixteen, he says, and I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. 2.5, he says, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? 2.8, the priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. 2.13, has a nation changed its gods? Even though they are no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 219, your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. Now, I would describe this as a pattern of humanity. Unfortunately. I think this is a pattern that that's not specific just to the people of Israel. I think this is a consistent cyclical pattern that we see that's a part of us as humanity. One of the things that that Jeremiah teaches us is, is about God and who He is, and that He does not tolerate those who do not fear Him. The other thing that we learn from Jeremiah is a little bit about ourselves and the wickedness that we have in our own heart even being declared as the people of God, but but living in the fear of other things rather than the fear of God. And these ideas have consequences. These pursuits, these hopes that we pursue outside of God have consequences. And this story helps us to see what some of those consequences are. This is how they've come to a place where they have ears but don't hear. Jeremiah 5.21 says, Now hear this, O foolish and senseless, heartless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Jeremiah 4, he calls them to repentance when he says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart, men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. You see the connection that he's making? He's diagnosing the symptoms of the deeds that were coming outside of them, but he says the problem exists in their hearts because they are uncircumcised and cannot hear the word of the Lord, and therefore they do not fear him. The same story is given in Psalm 115 to show the consistency of who we are as people and how we operate. That when we worship certain things, we have a tendency to become like them. And the psalmist in Psalm 115 gives the example of the children of Israel creating the golden calf. And that the calf itself had ears but could not hear. Had a nose but could not smell. A mouth but could not speak. Legs that could not walk. That we who make and worship idols, we who give ourselves to things we were never designed to give ourselves to, that we become like those things. Foolish. And dull, and dumb, and deaf. And we don't fear the Lord. And so the call of Jeremiah is to circumcise our hearts. This is something that's consistent with what Jesus said, even about the Pharisees, those who would lead. In Matthew chapter 13, he uses the same language to describe the Pharisees. You who have ears, but do not hear. You who have eyes, but cannot see. Stephen uses this same language in his sermon in Acts 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised of heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. I think there's one principle here that's really important for us to take away. Is that our hearts, our, our ears will always hear our hearts delight our ears will always be attuned to what our heart delights in. What we find here is that the children of Israel did not delight in the Lord their God. They did not fear the Lord their God. They did not receive the blessing of the land that God had so given them. They had turned themselves away from God as their delight. They had delighted now in other things as opposed to fearing the Lord. And our ears will always hear our heart's delight. This is exactly what Jeremiah describes in the next section of this verse, uh, verse 10, the word of the Lord is an object of scorn to them. They take no pleasure in it. Remember, they have forsaken me, the Bible says, and have offered sacrifice to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. Jeremiah 321, he says, they have forgotten the Lord their God. This is very similar to the teaching that Jeremiah would give later in Jeremiah 17 that sounds a lot like Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree that's planted by stream of water. And in its season, it will bear much fruit, but the wicked are not so. The distinction is what is it that our hearts delight in? When we delight ourselves in the Lord, Psalm 37 our ears are attuned to what he has to say. Are you in danger today of the word of the Lord being an object of scorn to you because because your heart has turned itself away from the Lord to delight in other things above the Lord our God? God is calling us to delight ourselves in him. Now, as we turn this picture, this passage but what we see is this, this is a, a symptom. This is a symptom of something that's been going on for quite some time with Israel. And I would caution us as those who, who lead, those who are preparing to lead churches, those who are, who are called to shepherd, those who are responsible as James 3 gives a, a stricter judgment, a warning to those who would stand and, and teach God's people. Because there's significance in the ways which we teach people. When we neglect to teach the word of God, people are vulnerable. I know there's a lot of talk today about spiritual abuse, about pastors abusing, and we need to be careful because the Bible warns of two ditches in our responsibility as those who are in authority, those who speak the word with authority, those who are called to lead the church. One of those ditches is to the left where we would be tyrannical and domineering. That is not the position. The Lord Jesus himself is the head of the church. It's not we who, it's our church that we, we wield some level of authority. The idea is that we don't domineer or dominate people or, or, or rule in tyranny over people. That, that is a sinful expression of the responsibility of an elder or an authority. But the other side, the, the other ditch that we see, we have to be cautious of as well, is because of the fear that we see in the culture in which we live, that we neglect to tell people the truth of what God's word says. Because I would argue that that makes people just as vulnerable to, the, to abuse as the Bible demonstrates in this case. And what we see is that the, the shepherds of Israel, those who are called to rule, to lead, to, to guide, to care for the people of Israel, the, the Bible actually describes their tendencies. And I would argue that this is a part of the cause. This is what, what led to the cause of the people of God being much more vulnerable, not to delight in God, not to love him, not to be affectionate toward him, not to fear him appropriately, but to drift in delighting in and fearing other things. Verse 13, for from the least of these to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. It's very similar to the warning that James gives in James chapter three, where he says that it is selfish ambition and jealousy that leads to every vile practice. Again, that's in the context of James' warning against those who would teach. Everyone is greedy for unjust gain, and for the from the prophet to the priest, everyone deals falsely. What's happening here is the same story. Ezekiel is describing the same people. He's writing during this a uh, similar time, and he's describing the shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel thirty-four, and, and he describes this situation by saying that the leaders are feeding on the sheep, not feeding the sheep. Their desire for greedy gain is now to use the sheep themselves to advance their own personal agenda. You know, I I fear where we are in many churches in the way that we think about our churches in terms of businesses and a model of business to where even some of you sitting here are thinking like, how can I get into some small church and then I want to preach for some time and, and I want to advance myself to, the, to whatever's the next best thing. And some of those desires, yeah, you want, to, you want to present yourself in ministry, but you have to be cautious and careful. Because presenting yourself in that way is you're just simply using the sheep to feed on them to advance your own greedy gain. The Lord will not bless that ministry I think David Wells says it well in The Courage to be Protestant. He says, Gone is the older model of the scholar saint, one who was as comfortable with books and learning as with aches of the soul. This was the shepherd who knew the flock, knew how to tend it, and Sunday by Sunday took that flock into the treasure of God's Word. But this has changed. In its place is the new celebrity style. What we typically see now is the leader who works by manipulating the feelings of the audience, enhancing his own image, the personal anecdotes, modeling himself after the CEO, and adopting a domineering management style. He's completely results-oriented, pragmatic, happy to employ any technique from the secular world that will produce desired results. I think this is a warning even for us who are called to shepherd. This is a, this is a tendency This is something that you need to fight consistently and to remember that your job as a shepherd in caring for the flock is to give yourself for them. Not as some hired servant, the way that the New Testament describes a hired shepherd, but as one who would give himself in full to the master and to the people who serve the master. Not using them for your own greedy gain. He goes on to describe that now everyone deals falsely. Jeremiah 6.31, he says, the prophets uh, prophesy falsely and the priests rule on their own authority and my people love it so. He describes the outcome of shepherds who deal falsely. He describes the outcome of uh, shepherds who are greedy for gain. Look at the outcome. Verse 14, they have healed the wounds of my people Lightly. The first thing I want you to notice here is that people, even God's people, have wounds. We live in a world that's cursed by sin. And whether it's by your own making, because of your own sinful disposition, or because of the curse of the world, or because of the sin of others onto us, we, we all walk around in wounded form. The, the Bible never dismisses the fact that, that we're wounded people. We're broken In fact, one of the primary missions of Christ, the Bible says, as shepherd is to heal the wounded hearted, the broken hearted. But how does it say these false shepherds deal with God's people? The Bible says that they they heal the wounds of my people lightly. What do they do? They have a form. they They have a method, if you will. They say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They're using greed and their lying mouths and passions and delights. The, the way Jeremiah describes this in the beginning is they, they whore after other gods. They, they walk around in idolatry, loving other things rather than loving God. But yet they say, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. You can be at peace when in reality there was no peace. Why? Because peace is found in one place. Peace is not a feeling. Peace is a person. Peace is not a place, it is a position in the Lord Jesus Christ that we walk at peace with Him. Listen to Calvin in his comments here on Jeremiah. They, talking about the prophets and the priests, had healed the wounds of people, but it was no cure When the evil was increasing, they were like the unskillful who, by rashly applying false remedies, cause inflammation, even when the disease is not serious, or like those who are only bent on easing pain and cause the increase of the disease within, which is the more dangerous, as it is more hidden. This is not to heal, but to kill. They were executioners, not physicians." The Bible goes on to describe that they healed the wounds of God's people lightly or superficially. What's, what does he mean when he says superficially? They're offering remedy. They're offering something that might have a temporary means to settle the heart, but it is genuinely no remedy at all. In fact, it actually exacerbates the problem. Jeremiah 2.22, Although you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, The stain of your iniquity, he says, is before me, declares the Lord. I remember when I was young, my mom, whenever I would have a fever, maybe you had this experience. And you understand that a fever is because of some sort of infection in your body. But my mom, to make me feel better, would go to the kitchen and she would uh, get a rag and uh, sometimes put it in the refrigerator after it was cold. And then she would bring it to me. It felt really nice, but the reality was it had no power to overcome the infection in my body. It felt really, really good and soothing, but it had no ability to cure what was ailing me at the moment. It was a superficial remedy. Comforting? Yes. Curative? No. We have to be careful as physicians of the soul that what we pursue in method of caring for people is not just simply to comfort without pursuing cure. We have to be cautious and careful that we're not pursuing superficial remedy rather than offering the genuine and true peace that's found in the, in the person and work of the Lord Jesus. One of the things that I'm concerned about, I would say, often in the church and the ways in which we neglect the care of our people is what are we going to do with people when they stand before the Lord? Are we ministering in such a way that we think about people at the moment that they're standing before the Lord? I think that needs to be at the forefront of our mind. I think it needs to drive us in our care for people. The way the writer of Hebrews describes us presenting the Word, the Word of God is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword it pierces to the division of, uh, of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. But I want you to pay attention to the next verse. is when you preach the word appropriately, when you minister the word privately to people, it, it exposes people. It helps people to see the genuine wounds that they have. That's the good work of the word. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him to whom we must give an account. You see, the reality is, is when people stand before God, when they hear the word of God, when it is not an object of scorn to them, when they have ears to hear, it does expose us. It, it makes us feel ashamed. That is the point of the word. Can I tell you that in, our, in, in a modern sense that many of our remedies are essentially just trying to remove Guilt and shame, one of the greatest contributions, I would say it's an evil contribution of the ideologies from modern psychology. Sigmund Freud's greatest contribution, I would argue, is that his theories remove legitimate guilt and shame. And when you remove legitimate guilt and shame, you're no longer seeking the remedy of Christ to offer peace, who genuinely covers our guilt, who genuinely covers Our shame. And see, what happens is if we believe that there are remedies outside of God's word for healing the wounded soul, then we believe there are greater problems that men face than sin and all of its effects on our hearts. What is the call of Scripture? This is what Jeremiah's been trying to argue for for now five chapters. The call of Scripture is to put to death, Paul says in Colossians, therefore what is earthly in you. But here's the problem. (laughs) We like to coddle our sin and manage our sin. But, but the call of Paul here, and I think what Jeremiah has been trying to argue to the people of God, is we are called to crucify our sin, not to coddle it. We're called to, uh, we're called to destroy our sin, not to manage it. And what were the shepherds doing? They were calling peace, peace, but there is no peace. Jeremiah 2.37, he says, for the Lord has rejected those in whom you trust and you will not prosper with them. So when it comments on this verse, he says, Oh, it is sad indeed for your soul to be summoned to appear before the jealous God and to have nothing to cover its nakedness. Don't you feel that shame? One of the reasons I think it's so hard for us to discipline ourselves every day to read the Word is because the Word exposes. The Word exposes us, and it's hard for us to get into a discipline where When we confront the Word of God, it exposes and leaves us to where nothing is hidden before a holy God. But you're missing the fullness of the Scripture. Not only does it diagnose the problems of your soul, it offers remedy in the Lord Jesus as a covering. It offers the Lord Jesus Himself as a covering of righteousness that consumes your guilt, that consumes your shame. Allow the Word in a good way to expose our guiltiness before God. Allow it to expose our shame in the depths of our heart, the patterns in which we think and the ways in which we behave and the ways in which we are deceived and enticed by the things of the world. And allow in that guilt and in that shame that you would run in brokenness and repentance to the Lord Jesus himself and find a covering. I think a perfect picture of this is in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, And immediately as they feel guilt and shame, in in Genesis 2.24, he says that they were naked and unashamed, living in normal walk with the Lord, trusting His provision that He had given. And now here they find themselves sinful and now shameful before God, and they run hiding. And in their hiding, they're trying to cover what they think is wrong. They've misdiagnosed their problem. They think their problem is nakedness. So they grab fig leaves to cover themselves. It's a a remedy to the natural eye. It covers what they think is wrong, but it does not cover their guilt and their shame before God. How do we know that? When God shows up, what does he do? He provides remedy for them because the way God sees them is deeper than the way they, they see themselves in their natural eyes. Physicians of the soul, I want to tell you, you need to be cautious not to have the the lens of the world in the ways in which you see people, because it will cause you, just like Adam and Eve, to misdiagnose the problems of people, offering, just like the shepherds of Israel, superficial remedies that seem to cover, that seem to, to work, that seem to pursue peace, but there is no peace at the end of that remedy. Paul tells us that even through suffering, Romans chapter 5, that it is the Lord Jesus as we grow in character and we grow in hope in him, that no matter the difficulty we walk through in the world, that that hope, that peace, the person of Christ and the work of Christ that clothes us in our guilt and in our shame that covers us, it will not put us to shame. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, peace is not found in a place or a feeling. Peace is found in a person. You know, I think one of the things that we've been driven by in our modern society, particularly in the church, where we, we don't want people to feel bad. And I, I appreciate that even you as a shepherd don't want people to feel bad. But, but I think some of the modern remedies in the way we try and help people deal with vexations of the soul we're dismissing the beauty of eschatological hope. We're dismissing the beauty of what God promises through Christ at the day of redemption. And that Paul says, as he longs for this glorious appearing of Christ, that that has implication for him to live today at peace with God and other people. The shepherds cry, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. What he continues to describe, I think, is really important. And I want to pause here for just a moment, and I want us to grasp what he's saying. Look at verse 15. He's talking about the people. The the shepherds have said there is peace, but there's really no peace at the end. Do you see how offering peace, that superficial, actually complicates the scenario? Because now as people pursue peace in that direction, and what they find is that it's not a sturdy, sturdy leaning post, they find themselves in a worse position. They find themselves in a more desperate position, in a more hopeless position, because now I've tried everything that the leaders of Israel have told me to do, and at the end, I still don't have peace. I think we have an insight here in verse 15. It's really important. I think it's a word even for us today in how we see problems. It says, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed at all. They did not know how to blush. I think this speaks very specifically in our churches in in how we allow sin to run rampant. Because the word of the Lord is now an object of scorn, it's looked at as, as if that's domineering or abusive to people. It's not abusive to speak the truth of God in love to people. It's not wrong to speak the truth of God very firmly to people. It's protective, the Bible says, it's instructive, it's encouraging and edifying, the scripture says. But I fear what's happening is that we're deferring to describe human problems by different standards than what the word describes. And what's the effect? You, I don't have to argue this for you. You experience this in the churches that you minister to, where people have a disdain to the word to some degree. They love their sin and they want to keep walking in it. We talked earlier this semester in a a panel on the issue of pornography. I've never in my life seen a love affair with sexual immorality to such a degree that we run to it and try to manage it, as opposed to seeing that it is an abomination before the Lord and that we need to crucify it. Yet consistently, from those who prepare for ministry and those who are in ministry, we see... This abomination before the Lord. And what, what do you see happening? Is They're not ashamed of things we ought to be ashamed for. Why is that? It's because we start to explain the issues that we have, the struggles that we have, not according to the word of the Lord, where there's appropriate shame and guilt so that we can run to Christ. But we begin, we, we begin to explain these problems by a different narrative. And that it's okay if I just dabble here and dabble there. We forget the call of Christ himself in John 14 15. That if you love me, you keep my commandments. That if you fear the Lord, you obey his commandments. Now that's not to gain approval. You understand the gospel. That is because you have been approved by God and out of gratitude and delight and joy. You want to love the Savior and obey in freedom what He has called you to do. That is a very different narrative than what we see here. That we commit sin and we're not even ashamed. Why is that? It's because our ears are uncircumcised to the Word. The Word itself has become an object of scorn. I think what? Jeremiah is trying to say, and what I think is said in the New Testament is, it is the Word of God that is intended to be sufficient for the creatures of God so that we can be sustained, so that we can flourish in life, so that we can deal with all of the the wounds of heart that we have. This is the kindness of the Lord. This is the goodness of the Lord. He goes on after this, and he now moves away from the symptoms and the the causes, and he moves into remedy, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and, and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. In Jeremiah eight twenty two, he asks a question that I think is an appropriate question even for us to ask today, especially with all the ways that we think about human problems. He says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people been restored? I think when I, when I hear that, I think of how important it is when Paul is reminding young Timothy to preach the word. And I think about us as people. that This is not unique to the people of God here in Jeremiah. This is, this is something that's consistent with us as people, as we live in every culture, every generation. This is why Paul warns, young Timothy, to preach the word. He says, verse 1 of chapter 2, uh, 2, 2, 4, 1 through 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Listen to what he says. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. And they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own what? Passions. Why? Because our ears will hear what our heart delights in. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Don't fulfill Paul's prediction. Preach, minister the word in truth, in kindness, in love, in grace. This is what God calls the people back to, is the ancient way, the good way. Understanding good and evil from God's perspective. I think that's the distinction here. And what God thinks about a situation is the most important thing about a situation. Is discerning, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5.14, discerning what is good and evil and you growing in discernment. Not according to what the world says is good and evil, but what God says is good and evil. Returning to His way, distinguishing the wicked from the good. Return to the good way. Where do we find the good way? We now have the revelation of the Lord Jesus Himself. We have the, the canon which is closed explaining who Christ is and the remedy that He's offered for everything that ails us and the hope that we have in Him at final restoration. But then He goes further and He says to walk in it don't just hear it to walk in it this is the same type of teaching that you see in james this is the same type of teaching of our lord jesus in matthew 7 not just to be a hearer of the word but but to be a doer of the word he tells us to to follow after him to obey him to walk in these things but people ask me sometimes like how do you how do you memorize scripture i'll tell you the best way to memorize scripture do it the best way to memorize scripture is to obey it to read the things that you read in the morning, pick out particular things that God is calling you to, and your worship be driven by the things that you learn of Him, and then you obey the commands that He gives to you that day or that week, and you appoint yourself to, to obeying what God has said today. Not just to be a hear, but to be a doer, to learn to walk in it. You want to see the way God sees? You want to understand and discern evil in a very wicked day? Walk in the ways of the Lord intentionally. Hide the word of the Lord in your heart by doing what the word calls us to do. Pastors, physicians of the soul, you want to help your people, help them to see according to the word of the Lord, teach them the word, and then disciple them, teaching them to obey all that God Christ has commanded them to do, to walk in it. It's the same story. And then he says, and you will find rest for your souls. Everyone's looking for rest. Everyone's looking for peace. Everyone's looking for a soul that's not in upheaval because of what's happening in the world or what's happened to them. And the Lord claims domain from his word and what he provides that he gives rest for our soul. Jesus picks up on that in Matthew chapter 10 or Matthew chapter 11, 28. Come to me all you labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's not the domain of Someone else. It's not the domain of a professional out there. Pastor, this is is our domain with the word of the Lord, that we minister the word of the Lord in such a way that we call people to Christ himself so that they can truly and genuinely find rest for their souls. I'm going to give you three quick applications and then I'm done. One of the things that you see here is that the shepherds acting falsely were using people for their own gain. I want to encourage you in our day and age and the ways in which we think about church that people are not a hindrance to your ministry. They are your ministry. Don't think that people are a means to get what you want or a stepping stone in some other direction. The people that God gives you, that He entrusts to you, they are your ministry to be faithful to Him. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. I want to remind you that you will give an account. In the same way the Lord is holding these shepherds responsible, you will give an account. Hebrews 13, 17, the Bible says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now, however you sort out what you think Hebrews 13, 17 means, just know this, pastor, the ways in which you care for the flock and how you care for the souls of people and you keep watch over them, you will stand before God and give an account. The last thing that I'll say is that when you you shepherds neglect the ministry of the word, it makes people vulnerable. Protect the, protect the flock. Care for the flock by the ministry of the word, both public and private. Father, we're grateful for the time we get to spend together. We're so grateful that you offer uh, remedy. You give us clarity on how to see and understand people. You give us a way. You're so kind that even in our sin, you, you call us back to yourself. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us, Lord, in the face of a difficult culture, people who hate the things of God, who hate the word of God and the truth of God, that we would be bold and love people enough to speak the truth in love. May it be so among us and in our ministries in Christ's name, amen.